0: morning, y'all. How you doing? Flowers are in celebration of a very special lady we celebrated yesterday. Teresa Robinson has been promoted. She's, as the family said, she's dancing with Jesus right now. So uh, that's what those flowers are about. And uh, we have a, another uh, celebration of life tomorrow at one o'clock. Just a little reminder, Dean, uh is dancing with Jesus as well. We're going to celebrate his life. That's uh, Martha Jepsen's Kleinschroth's husband. Uh, he's with Jesus too. Uh, today, we're going to talk about choices because life is full of choices. Some of them are easy. Some of them, not so much. And today, we're we're going to see an impossible choice where there's no right answer. You ever had one of those situations where no matter where you go, Ron, it, it's, not, it's not good. <laughs> Heads I win, tails you lose. It's not one of those good situations. Uh, I recall a made-up scenario, uh, and they do that sometimes. Teachers do that. Employers do that. Researchers do that. Even uh, our kids sometimes ask us, Uh, What would you do in this situation? So here is that made-up situation, I recall. Uh, You're a train switchman, and the speeding train coming your way, full of innocent people, if you flip the switch, only one person will be killed. And the dozens of innocent people on the train will live and be spared. Uh, If you flip the switch... Uh, the one person that dies is your only child. You understand? If you don't flip, if you do flip, uh, you either got dozens of people who are going to die or your only child, what are you? What will you do? What, what are you going to do? And, and it's one of those, there's no good answer here. It, it's a lose-lose situation. It's a choice designed to make you... Reveal how you think. It's a a question designed to make you reveal what you value and who you value the most. No right answer. Lose, lose situation. Uh, Today, we're going to see in the encounters with Jesus, this is week number two, um, the Jewish leaders are going to use one of these situations on Jesus. The the Jewish leaders are going to try to trip up and uh, really do a number and trap Jesus with a forced situation. They leave him no good options. Uh, A perfect teacher forced to take a test with only wrong answers to choose from. That's who Jesus was. And we're going to see him deal in this situation and do custom work up close and personal with Jesus. Only this time, in this situation, in John chapter 8, real lives hang in the balance. It's not a made-up situation. It's real, and we're going to see what happens in this situation and how Jesus navigates the trap that the religious leaders had set up. If you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to read... John chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And uh, note the trap. Note what they're trying to do. Read with me. Here we go. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Let's pray. Lord, help us uh, to learn and be challenged and grow today as we dig in to your inspired words. We we need you. We need you, Lord. Teach us lessons that you have for us personally as we watch you encounter the Jewish leaders and this woman. Lord, uh, help us to uh, navigate this interesting and uh, really revealing passage very well today. And we're going to need your help. So we invite your Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, you're welcome today in your church. Would you come take charge? Come in streams of living water. Might they flow today in the church family here at Walloon? And all the church family gathered at Walloon Lake said with one loud voice, nice job, you may be seated. You'll note that in most of our Bibles, there's a little note around this section of Scripture. I, I think we need to address that. Okay, what does it, it says? Uh, the most ancient Greek manuscripts don't include this section. It's missing in some of the most ancient Greek manuscripts. Uh, scholars. Many scholars debate the placement of this section of scripture, whether it belongs, some say it should be in Luke's gospel, Uh, others argue it should be elsewhere in John chapter 8. Let me give you just a little history lesson about canonicity. Uh, Is it inspired? Has this section been God-breathed? And here's one of the key principles. What God inspires, he also preserves. So what God has inspired for men to write down, filled with the Holy Spirit, writing down his words, he also preserves so it endures. And in God's sovereignty and providence, track with me, he put John 8, 1 to 11 in our Bibles, And down through the centuries, the church has believed this was God's book and benefited from this section of God's word. So despite questions, I get it. This has a little different history from other sections in God's word. God used a unique path to get this section of scripture to us today, okay? But I'm convinced, down to my toes, these verses is a genuine episode in the life of Jesus. This is God's book. In his providence, he preserved it for us. He's kept it. We can grow, be instructed, be corrected, be trained. From John chapter 8, okay? Back to the text, verse 2. But early the next morning, Jesus was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered. Jesus sat down and taught them. That's why I sit down once in a while, right? There you go. Uh, it's right there in the Bible. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Okay? Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in the temple area. Large crowd is gathered around him. Verse 3, suddenly, while Jesus is teaching, he's interrupted by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Imagine, I'm up here preaching to you, and suddenly, some religious leaders present this woman. I'm telling you, it was unexpected, um, and I would argue it was inappropriate, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Jesus is interrupted by the religious leaders of the Jewish people. Who are they? These are well-educated, well-known men, thought to be men of wisdom, thought to be men of high moral standards, okay? If anyone had a question about the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, go to these guys. They've got the answers. They were religious. They were meticulous about rules and laws. Uh, But we also know from the rest of the story and from the Gospels, they were not godly men. Their intentions were not good. And as this story unfolds, as we look further into John 8, 1 to 11, we're going to discover these religious leaders were proud, self-confident, arrogant, ruthless, clever, cunning, and thoroughly hypocritical. They, they were a bunch of hypocrites. We'll talk about why that's true in a bit, okay? Okay. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, understand they were threatened by Jesus. They didn't like what he taught. They were threatened by the large crowds, and the crowds were very receptive, and they were excited. These teachers of the law, the religious leaders, were threatened by the message of Jesus. It threatened Their positions. It threatened their comfortable situation. Do you understand? Okay. Now, before Jesus, you have this unnamed woman who they say has been caught look at it, verse 3 in the act of adultery. And they stand her in front of a large crowd in all of her brokenness. Just imagine. She's there. And there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people looking on. Now questions come to the surface here, okay? And there's not good answers to these questions. Like, who was this woman? Where did she come from? Is she single? Is she engaged? Is she married? How did they catch her in the act of adultery? And the number one question that doesn't get answered here, Where's the man? Where's the man? Because by definition, uh, if she's caught in the act of adultery, that takes two people. Understand? So, uh, where is the man in this situation? Clearly, we know, John tells us, this is a trap. This is a setup. Okay? Likely, this man was involved in the trap. It's likely that the religious leaders now have arranged for this man to uh, be seducing this woman, and then by arrangement, they let him go free. You understand? That's, that's evil. Okay? Some scholars and commentators even suggest maybe she was a prostitute. Maybe they knew they could pay her enough money, she'll go along with the situation, and then we want the guy to go running away. Okay? What seems clear here is these religious leaders could have cared less about the woman. They, they don't care about her. She's merely a pawn. She, she is literally facing execution over their devious plot The only thing they care about right here is trapping Jesus. And why were they trying to trap Jesus? Because they hated him. They were ready to do whatever it took to uh, bring him down and to reduce his popularity among the crowds. Back to the text. Verse 4. Teacher, (laughs) they said to Jesus, this woman was caught... In the act of adultery, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And then John tells us they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. This, this was all about trapping Jesus. It's a, it's a game of gotcha. It's a game of get Jesus, put Jesus on the horns of a dilemma, put him in the middle and make Jesus lose his following. Now let me show you what the problem was in the Old Testament. Dan, we'll put those up there. Leviticus 20 and verse 10. Here's the dilemma Jesus faced. Moses wrote, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who've committed adultery must be put to what? Kill them both. Also, Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-two, Moses writes, if, if a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way you will purge Israel of such evil. Interesting, isn't it? Both verses that they're referring to begins with if a man. If a man, the emphasis in both of those passages in Leviticus Deuteronomy is the role of the man. And let me remind you, he's missing in action in John chapter 8. Yes, the woman is guilty. There's no argument there. But the greater guilt goes to the man. Do you understand? The man is was the spiritual leader. The man is the one who is uh, found guilty first. He's the leader in God's eyes. So, the Jewish leaders have carefully set a trap. If Jesus says, yep, go ahead, stone and kill her, he's going to be in trouble with Rome. Because Rome didn't allow the Jews to execute capital punishment. We're going to find out that later when Pilate is uh, trying to do the same thing to Jesus. The very same leaders have to go and get Pilate's permission to kill Jesus. Do you recall that? So if he, if he just says, go for it, now he's in trouble with Rome. If Jesus says, um, no, we're going to show mercy He would have been seen as not obeying the teaching of Moses. Do do you see the trap? Either way, they thought they had Jesus trapped. They they thought this is the perfect lose-lose situation, and we finally think we have him. I want to show you um, in the temple area. See the red circled part? That is the Fortress of Antonio. That's important because uh, the Romans knew the Jews sometimes got a little unsettled in this area. So the Romans built a fortress right there in, in uh, in the temple area, in the temple court, in case of an uprising of the Jews, they're right there ready to go To action, okay? And take care. So everybody's listening to Jesus' response. Are you going to advocate throwing rocks? And then the Roman army's going to swoop in and arrest Jesus? Or are you going to allow this woman to walk away free? And now everybody's going to say, Well, he doesn't believe in the law of Moses. (laughs) And many in the crowd would have walked away from Jesus. Do you understand the trap? Do you understand that we're going to get you, Jesus, right here? Go back to the text with me. Last part of verse 6. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he says, All right, but let the one who's never sinned (laughs) throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Hmm. Wouldn't you like to know what Jesus was writing in the dust? I'd, I'd, lo- I'd John, we need more details. We do. Apparently... Apparently what he wrote wasn't critical for us to know because otherwise John would have recorded it for us, okay? Um, The word right in the Greek is only used here. Isn't that interesting? The only place the word right, what he wrote in the ground, it can mean to doodle, and I guess I don't see Jesus taking time to doodle here, Okay? or it can mean to make a list it can mean either one here's a few guesses here's a few guesses jesus is stalling <laughs> many many commentators say we think jesus he's just stalling to wait out the religious leaders and hoping this situation will clear up and and I guess I would say I don't think so because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, had this elaborate plan, and I think up to this point, they thought they were winning. Any of you play chess? Anybody? Play chess? Show me. Yeah. Yeah. I think they had said check, and they were waiting to say checkmate. <laughs> we got you, Jesus. We we got you. Uh, Others believe that Jesus was writing out the Ten Commandments. And uh, perhaps he was writing out the men. Pharisee Jacob, coveting. Uh, Pharisee Sam, adultery in his heart. Pharisee Isaac, liar. Uh, And writing out some of the men, some of the teachers of the law, and the Pharisee's sins. And and maybe if that's the case, Jesus was referring to the finger of God that wrote down the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 with Moses. And if that's true, then Jesus was saying, I'm the great I am. I am the true lawgiver. I wrote these laws down now, and I'm still the great lawgiver. Whatever Jesus wrote, here's what I want you to know. It worked. It was effective. Because as the religious leaders saw Jesus writing again in the dirt, notice what it says. It says, When they heard this, when they saw this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Okay? Beginning with the oldest, uh, they just started walking away. Note the powerful word of Jesus. Verse 7 What prompted this? All right, but let the one who's never sinned you throw the... If if any of you are perfect, then start throwing your stones. Jesus is saying, I don't want to debate Moses' law. I I don't want to argue about the sentence with you, but I do dispute your qualifications for punishing this woman. I'm not going to argue with you. That's exactly what Moses' law says. But only those who are without sin, okay, now you can start throwing rocks. Before you pick up the first stone, take a good look in the mirror, boys. But Before you start killing this woman, examine your own life very closely. Make sure there's no malice, no deceit, no dishonesty. Before you start putting your devious plot into action, before you start throwing stones, make sure you look at you first. That's what Jesus is saying. These religious leaders, teachers of the law, Pharisees, they wanted to talk about the woman. Jesus wanted to talk about them. Do you see the difference? We, we want the focus to be upon this guilty woman. And Jesus is saying, well, well you first, you've got to think about you. I want to focus on, on you and your hypocrisy. You're conniving, plotting, religious games, pretending to be pious and perfect, and now you're standing next to this woman and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. She doesn't deny her sin, but they won't even admit they have any sin. See the problem? She She's guilty, clearly, They won't even own that they're sinners at all. And it says, go back again to verse 9, slowly they start walking away. From oldest to youngest. Oldest ones either recognize they had more sin. Okay, you know, Myron, you think back, we got 60 plus years worth of sin that we need to account. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and they're not. Or the older ones just said, no, I'm I'm not going to fight this one. Had a little more sense than try to pretend that they were being perfect. I have a question. When the stones were about to fly, where was Jesus? What's your answer? Right there at her side. Uh, Second question, now that everybody has walked away, Where is Jesus? Hasn't moved. Right there at her side. Here's the key point. Jesus will never abandon us. Isn't that good? Jesus doesn't walk away from the woman when the stones are about to fly. And then when everybody walks away, he's right there. And Jesus will never abandon or walk away from us. On the good days, when things are going great, Jesus is right there. But even when the rocks are about to fly in our lives, Jesus is right at our side. (laughs) One by one, religious hypocrites disappear until no one but Jesus and the woman are left alone. So, who's left now? Only the sinner And the Savior of sinners are left. Everyone else is gone. It's just the two of them. I love it. Back to the text, verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let's just talk about how Jesus treats this woman, this sinful woman. Okay? He stood and he faced her, looked her square in the face. He questioned her, where are they? Where are your accusers? None of them are left to condemn you. Then Jesus forgives her, neither do I condemn you. And then Jesus challenges her, go and sin no more leave your life of sin Jesus treats this sinful woman with dignity and compassion I love it he treats her sin with total honesty I love that and Jesus puts the two together perfectly honesty compassion grace forgiveness and yet He doesn't whitewash the sin either. He offers her grace and mercy and hope and forgiveness. And then he says, now, I give you a brand new start. You you get a fresh, clean slate. Uh, Go right ahead. Brand new start. Jesus is the same, Hebrews 13, 8 says. Jesus is the same yesterday. You guys know this verse? Today, and he doesn't change. So Jesus offers you and I the same thing he offers this woman. Do you understand? Jesus says, I'm ready to give you grace and mercy and hope and forgiveness, and I'm ready to give you a new life, a brand new start. I love how Jesus treats this sinful woman because I know that's how he treats sinful us today. Still treats us the same way. Okay? We don't need anyone to remind us of our face plants. Isn't that true? I don't know about you. I remember my face plants just fine. We've all messed up in a variety of ways, James 3:2. We don't need someone to rub our noses in our past sins, in our present sins. We we don't need that. But we do need to be reminded there's hope in Jesus. There's hope. The mercy of Jesus is new every morning. Now what I find most interesting, that Jesus was the only one qualified to throw a rock. Do you note that? The only one who was perfect and without sin and could fire the first rock. The only one that could throw a rock didn't. Isn't that powerful? (laughs) The only one who, who really was qualified chose not to throw a rock at her. Wow. Now, I want to go back and talk just a little bit Because the order of Jesus' words here really matter. I'm going to say it again. The order of Jesus' words here really matter. Uh, Pastor Ray Pritchard explains, we'll put a slide up here, Jesus didn't say, sin no more and then I won't condemn you. Jesus didn't say, quit sinning, get your life cleaned up, and then we'll accept you. That's not what he said. Jesus says, I'll forgive you, and then I'll give you the power to clean up your act. <coughs> we need to learn from that. Religion says change, or we're going to condemn you. It uses fear and intimidation to make people feel like, oh, I've got to get my act together. I've got to pretend that, that I'm doing everything just great. The grace of Christ says, I've forgiven you, now let me change your life from the inside out. Do you you see? That order matters. We don't change in order to be accepted by Jesus Christ. We change because we've already been accepted and forgiven, and now we've been given the power to change. And too often, we in churches, we give the impression, you're still a little too dirty to come in here, get your act cleaned up, get, get start following the rules, and then we'll accept you, and then we'll forgive you. And I'm telling you, only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus can change us from the inside out. And then he empowers us through His Spirit, and through the power of His book, to sin no more. Far too often we get that mixed up. We really do. And that mixes and messes everything up. Nothing motivates new life like the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing nothing motivates us because grace does what rules and religion can never do. That's worth repeating, right? Right. Uh, Nothing motivates us to go and sin no more like the grace of Jesus. And I'm telling you, I don't care how many rules and regulations we have, grace of Christ, his forgiveness, his spirit living in us, that's what empowers and motivates us to go and sin no more. It has to be in that order. We get it mixed up. We really do. Please don't leave here today thinking, well, adultery is really no big deal. (laughs) Don't leave here thinking from this passage, well, Jesus kind of downplays it. No big deal. I'll let it slide. No, no. That's not what's going on here at all. Jesus forgives sin, and then he empowers the woman to go and live a brand new life. That's what's happening. Okay, She's guilty. She's caught in the act of adultery. But Jesus offers her the grace of forgiveness. Gives her a brand new start. A clean slate. And now she has the power of Jesus within her to go and sin no more. That's what's going on here. Jesus is not light on sin he just has the perfect balance when it comes to sin now hopefully as you entered you got a rock so locate your rock now yeah try to refrain from firing it forward at this time I told a few of you note I didn't pass everybody an egg out (laughs) as you came in This rock um, represents you. This rock represents me, okay? Uh, If you didn't get one, we have lots of rocks. We'll get you one as you exit. Um, But here's the truth. All of us are this woman here in John chapter 8. We are all We're all guilty sinners. Every one of us here, we deserve punishment. We deserve truly to be separated from a holy, righteous, perfect God Almighty. That's the truth. But as you look at this rock, just let it soak in that Jesus has offered us forgiveness from all of our sin. He offers us a clean slate. Jesus offers you and I brand new life in Him. And, here's the part that we should never lose sight of. He gives us the power to go and sin no more, to live strong for Him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives where? Lives here. Lives in you. Don't ever forget that, okay? So he, he not only gives us a clean slate, he gives us the power to live strong for him. A few things about the rock. Will you drop your rock as far as throwing it at other people, including politicians of all stripes and varieties? including leaders that you don't fully agree with, can we just drop the rock? Okay, Will you today see your name written in the dirt? Because when Jesus was writing in the dirt, he he was writing Jeff. (laughs) And in writing a whole series of sin that Jeff is guilty of. But he was doing the same for, he was writing your name, in the dirt as well. And finally, as you think about this rock, will you realize and know that you and I are free from condemnation? We're no longer living under the condemning power of sin. We've been forgiven. We've been set free. Jesus forgives. Jesus restores and Jesus asks us, okay, I've forgiven you. I've given you a brand new slate, a new start. Okay, now go and sin no more. That's the motivation for living strong for Jesus. Take this rock home with you and, and put it somewhere. I, I don't know for you. Uh, probably I'll put it on the nightstand but maybe dresser, sink somewhere, maybe, maybe right there as you open the fridge. I don't know where you'll see it the most. But will you let this rock remind you of two things? Okay? First, we're not without sin. Even though we know Jesus, we still are prone to wander. Amen? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And uh, I know, Lord, that I still am a sinner saved by grace. And at the same time, perfect tension. Jesus and his forgiving grace and the power of his spirit is living right here. And now, today, I can walk all week long in victory because of what Jesus has done and is doing in me. Both are true. We're still sinners, and Jesus is alive. So don't miss that perfect balance, okay? Neither do I condemn thee, okay? I'm not going to condemn you any- I don't live that way anymore, and what is it? Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. What a great balance. Let that rock remind you of the perfect salvation Jesus brings us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you. You uh, dealt with this woman perfectly, and we're in awe. (laughs) The religious leaders thought they had that perfect trap, and they tried to spring it on you, Lord, and uh, you're awesome. So first of all, Lord, we just acknowledge it's easy, it's natural to get focused on the sin of other people around us. It's So easy to even get angry and be all worked up because sinners around us are sinning. And when we do that, Lord, we usually ignore the sin in our own life. Would you make it clear, Lord, where we're tempted to throw rocks at others and ignore the sin that's going on in our own lives? Make that obvious where we're, uh, we're too busy picking up rocks and firing them at others. And some of us, Lord, are here today and the truth is we've got an entangling, besetting sin that's kicking our tails every day. Some of us are stuck in a sin and a rut and it seems like we can't get out of that pit. So, Lord, today we're reminded you're in the forgiving and restoring business and you're also in the empowering business. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Wow, awesome. Would you show us how to begin taking advantage of your power in us? Show us your way out. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning or watching online who, like this woman, guilty, sinner, deserving judgment, thank you that you still today say the same thing in 2024. You say this to all sinners. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Here's the truth. If you'll invite Jesus into your life by faith, he died on the cross, he shed his blood for all of our sin, if you'll receive Jesus and open the door of your life, he'll forgive you. He'll save you. He'll fill you with the power of his spirit, just like he did with this woman. He'll do it today. Jesus, I believe and I receive change me from the inside out if you're watching online hit that prayer button we'd love to pray with you if you're here today in the building make your way to the prayer corner after church we'd love to celebrate and help you navigate your new life in Christ thank you Lord thank you for your book thank you for how you dealt with uh, folks who were out to get you Lord We still need your wisdom as we navigate this thing called life. Thanks that you're right here with us today in your church family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.